shouldn't bring water stuff sometimes to drink to the service, and then the, the preacher breaks it with water. But sorry, I got a frog in my throat this morning. Well, this morning we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke. They have a Bible. You can turn uh, to the Gospel of Luke with me, chapter 1. If you do not have a Bible with you, you can simply turn to the portion of Scripture that is printed in your bulletin this morning. Luke chapter 1, we read verses 57 through 80. A little tidbit I want to make you aware of in case you're reading your, your Bible and you see a difference between what I read and what you have in your Bible. Uh, some s- translations have the name Zechariah. Other translations have the name Zacharias. And it's kind of like tomato, tomato, what's going on there. Uh, if you want to know is the fact that Zechariah's name is a Hebrew name, but it's, it's being communicated in the Greek language. And so that accounts for the difference between Zacharias and Zechariah. So nothing to be concerned about. Your, your, your Bible and my Bible is not fooling you or uh, deceiving you in any way. So hear God's word this morning. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, let your gospel come into us this morning. Let it come to us in word, but not in word only, but also in the power of your Holy Spirit. 
Help us to leave here today with much assurance. It's through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Elvis Presley's hips. Eddie Van Halen and his two-finger tapping on the neck of an electric guitar. Michael Jackson with his moonwalk. Michael Jordan with his fadeaway jumper. Scott Hamilton doing a backflip on the ice. Matthew McConaughey saying, all right, all right, all right. And Bill Ingvall, the comedian, saying, here's your sign. What do all those individuals and those maneuvers have in common? Whether they're a musician, a comedian, or an athlete, they all have a go-to move. It's a go-to move that they go to in order to entertain, in order to make the audience have a jaw drop of amazement, to secure the victory, to get the points. Every single one of these individuals has a go-to move. And after a while, these go-to moves have become synonymous with who they are and what they do. In fact, if you've ever had the privilege of seeing any of those individuals perform live and in person, you would feel cheated a little bit if you left their performance without having the opportunity to see in person their go-to move. What does that have to do with me and you this morning? Well, for us this morning, we want to leave this place with certainty that Jesus is who he says he is and he's accomplished what he says he has accomplished. That is the reason for the gospel of Luke being written. Luke says in chapter 1, verse 4, these words are written so that you, Theophilus, the lover of God, might have certainty about the things you have been taught. The reason I bring up those go-to moves this morning is for this very simple reason. God himself has a go-to move. What do you mean? There is a go-to move that God goes to so that his people can have certainty about who he is and what he's accomplished. What is God's go-to move? He makes promises. And then he keeps them. God makes a promise. And then he fulfills his promise. This gospel is filled with rejoicing. In fact, this passage itself is filled with rejoicing. And this morning, I want you to enjoy God's go-to move. What is God's go-to move? He makes a promise and he keeps it. Let's take a look at it just on the minor miniature scale in this passage. Back in chapter 1, verse 13, uh, Chris Tibbetts preached on this passage last week. There was the promise made to Zechariah and his barren wife Elizabeth that he and his wife would have a baby boy. And that he was to be named John. 
And remember last week, Chris Tibbetts titled his sermon, How Shall I Know This? And one of the ways that God promises to give Elizabeth and Zechariah assurance that this prophecy will be fulfilled is that he makes Zechariah unable to speak. In fact, many commentators suggest that at that time, God made Zechariah both dumb and mute, that he could not hear or speak during that time. And it seems to align with what we see in our passage today, because we see that when the baby boy is born, the people are making signs to Zechariah, trying to get him to communicate with them. You almost picture them like a, a baseball manager making signs and things, trying to get him to respond. So, but the promise has been made. You'll have a baby boy. He'll be named John. And until he's born, you won't be able to speak. Promise made. What do we see in this passage? Promise kept. Why would God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, have this story recorded in Luke's gospel for us? It appears as if it's just an isolated, odd case. But what we see is that this isolated individual case demonstrates God's go-to move on the minor scale and on the big scale. What's the promise? Your barren wife will give birth to a boy. It happens. That was God's go-to move with Abraham and Sarah. That was God's go-to move with Hannah, with Samuel. Woman's barren, God promises you'll have a baby boy, and she does. But then there is this big debate about what will his name be. And it's humorous when you read it in the original language because you get the sense that this birth was like any other birth. There was a lot of excitement, there was a lot of rejoicing, but what do you know happens whenever a baby's born? There is chaos. Everyone's excited that Elizabeth has just given birth to a boy, but everyone is repeatedly saying, oh, look at baby Zachariah. And they're repeatedly saying, look, it's baby Zachariah, because it was Jewish custom that the boy would be named after his father. And for those of us reading the account, we're saying, no, 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 that cannot be. Because remember, Gabriel promised that the baby boy would be named John, not after his father, And Elizabeth interjects with a very emphatic no in the original language. And says, no, his name will be John. And they all stare at her. What are you talking about? And and those Christian, good, Bible-believing folk did something back then that we never do now. They said, but Elizabeth, we've never done this before. (laughs) Some of you laughed. And so they begin repeatedly trying to make signs to John. And they give John a wooden tablet that has wax upon it. It was the way that they would write things in the ancient Near East. It was kind of their their iPad. In the original, it says this. John 
is his name. And they're amazed. Promise made, promise kept. And immediately, the scriptures say here, immediately when Zechariah writes his name as John, God keeps his promise again, opens Zechariah's mouth, and he begins praising God. Why is this significant? Because it shows us God's go-to move. It's God's go-to move throughout all the scriptures so that we might have assurance that what we believe about him is true. God makes a promise, and he keeps it. And he keeps it. Like many of you, I've been watching the news and seeing the, 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 the comments made on the campaign trail between uh, Joe Biden and, and our president, current president, Donald Trump. And this morning, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but I want to share with you something I, I noticed over the last week or two that I thought was interesting. Uh, our president was on the campaign trail, and he was uh, basically doing what every candidate would do. He was giving everyone a reason why they could trust him and a reason why they should vote for him. If you remember in the last presidential election, one of the, the main uh, promises that, that President Trump made to the American people was that he was going to build a wall on our southern border, and he was going to make Mexico pay for it. Okay? And if you remember that promise, okay? Well, on the campaign trail, President Trump was talking about the fact that this, board, this uh, wall has begun to be built. And he said, uh, he admitted, he said, you know, the, the, the wall is going to, has cost me a lot more than what I anticipated at first. Because I, I just imagined originally just putting up some, some uh, steel structures, pouring concrete, you know, problem solved. He said, been talking with those that work there on the border, they communicated to me the fact that they needed to have a wall that, that was transparent, somewhat vi- uh, that they could see through visibly that helped them accomplish their job. He said, so the, the wall is costing us more than what I had originally anticipated. He said, but that's okay because Mexico is still going to pay for it. Well, that, that caught my attention. I remember that campaign promise. I thought, well, okay, where is he going with this? And he said, so here's the deal. We are setting up some, some toll places that when people come from Mexico in the United States of America, they're going to have to pay a toll to be able to drive on that road and to be able to drive through that wall. I thought, well, that's interesting. And he said this. He said, so over time, yes, Mexico will pay for the building of that wall. Now, as you can imagine... The commentators began to debate about whether or not that was a promise made, promise kept. What Luke is doing for us here in Luke's gospel is this. There is no room for debate about God's go-to move. God's promise made is a promise kept. No doubt about it. Well, why should that matter to me and you? Well, when it comes to the end of my life, whether I'm taken suddenly in an accident or by a heart attack, or whether I am wasting away 
in a hospital bed. I want to have certainty. Don't you? I want to have certainty that what I believe about Jesus is true. I want to have certainty that my relationship with him is secure. And how will I know this? One of the most significant ways I will know this is because of the evidence that's provided in the scriptures. That God repeatedly throughout redemptive history made a promise and he kept it. And one of the major promises he made in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 was this. Behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And every scholar is in agreement that Malachi chapter 3, written at least 430 years before the birth of John the Baptist, written 430 years before the incarnation of Jesus Christ, prophesied, promised what John the Baptist would come and do. Second reason this matters is because as we go about our way of life and living our lives and sharing with others the reason for the hope within us, when I have friends or when I have neighbors or I have coworkers or if I have, uh, well, not, hopefully not coworkers with me, but friends or relatives or neighbors that ask me, why do you believe this? I can point to Luke's gospel among many passages of scripture and say, look at the evidence. Look at God's go-to move throughout all of scripture that he makes a promise and he keeps it. Or what about those of us that are struggling in our prayer life? We've been praying to God about the same things, the same people, the same situations. Why should we even keep it up? Why should we have any confidence or assurance that God will answer our prayers? Because repeatedly throughout Scripture, we've seen God's go-to move. God promises us that if we ask anything in accordance with His will, it will be done. So one of the reasons that our prayer might not be answered is because we may not be praying something in accordance with God's will. And so God, out of His love and mercy and care for us, says no. I'm not giving you that. Have I shared with you before that when I was in junior high and high school, I had a crush on a girl. This, this service isn't recorded, so I can say this here. I had a crush on a girl by the name of Heather Faulkner. She was beautiful. She's still beautiful. Now, thank God, according to social media, I've been able to kind of keep an eye on her from a distance. And you know what? I begged God to give me the opportunity to date her and marry her someday. And God said No. And you know what? I stand here today at 42 years of God and 42 years of age saying, thank you, God. She is a high-maintenance woman. Okay? I was praying, God, please, please, give me her. And God said, no. And now I look back and I say, thank you, God. He gave me another Faulkner, Jennifer Faulkner. I'm much more happy with her. And so I say, thank you, God. Now that relationship was in accordance with God's will. As we prayed about whether or not to get married, God told us first, wait. And then he said, yes. Why? It was accordance to his will. And so this morning, I want you to enjoy God's go-to move of promise and fulfillment. 
But I want to close today with us answering the question, why? Why is this one of God's major go-to moves? Well, you've got to see what motivates God behind this go-to move is his two reasons. First of all, is a commitment to his covenant. We see this in verses 72 and 73. Uh, when Zechariah begins prophesying, he says that God does this to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. What motivates God to be a God who makes promises that keeps him because he's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, just like Patrick prayed at the beginning of the service? What motivates God to make a promise and keep it because he's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God? It's his go-to move. It's who he is. It's what he does. And one of the major reasons why he records this pattern of his go-to move throughout Scripture is out of his mercy and compassion for us. So that we can go back and look and see repeatedly that this is how God operates. Because God knows that we long for evidence. We long for proof that what we believe is true. And we can have confidence and assurance we haven't checked our brain at the door in order to come to faith in Christ. So we see this theme of mercy um, several times throughout this passage. Look at verse 72, to show mercy promised to our fathers. Look at verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. But most importantly, we see it in the name of John itself. Verse 60, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Now look at me for a little bit. Here's what's significant. The name of Zechariah means God is faithful to his covenant. God is faithful to his covenant. And so that would have been a great name for uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth's son to be named. Because God made a promise to Abraham that his, his posterity would be a blessing to all the nations. We're, remembered, we're reminded of the fact that, that Abraham and Sarah were old and Sarah was barren. And God made his, his covenant promise that he would give them a baby. And so it would have been wonderful for uh, Zachariah's son to be named Zachariah as well. That God remembers his covenant. But there's another aspect of God's character that God wanted to be communicated in the birth of Zachariah and Elizabeth's son. And it was through the name of John. Do you know what John means? God is merciful. So what I want to submit to you today is that when Elizabeth and Zechariah tell the people, no, his name is John, the people are not only amazed that they've broken tradition. I want to submit to you that they're amazed by the revelation given them about God's character. You see, it's a picture of the gospel. See, Zachariah and Elizabeth are admitting to the people, we know we don't deserve this baby. God didn't have to give him to us. But he did. Why? According to his mercy. God gave us his word, and he delivered his word by delivering us this baby. Which sets us up for the fact that Jesus is going to come and be a baby who will deliver us from 
our own sins and from the tyranny of this world. And so what motivated God to be a God who makes promises that he keeps? The fact that he's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, and he's a merciful God who knows we need those bridges built for our faith. Several years ago, I had the privilege of performing a funeral for a man who was in the, retired from the Navy. When I asked his family what, what his job was, they said he was one of the CBs. And I was like, like he talked on the, they're like, no, CBs. How many of you have ever heard the name CBs? Okay, you know. Part of the Naval Construction Battalion, a very interesting unit uh, in the Navy. They go in in, in, <laughs> in the line of fire, and they build bridges, they pave roads. And so they're basically construction workers in the middle of a military battle. <laughs> so you imagine trying to run a forklift with a, with a machine gun. It's kind of the picture you have of these guys. These guys are tough, very tough. They were very important in our preparation for D-Day. There is a famous sign that was written by the 3rd Marine Division, the 2nd Raiders of Green Beach, after D-Day, pardon me, right prior to D-Day. Here's what the sign read. So when we reach the Isles of Japan with our caps at a jaunty tilt, we'll enter the city of Tokyo on the roads the Seabees built. What were they saying? We're going to be able to get there because of the work that they've done. And we couldn't get there without them. That's a picture of what John the Baptist's ministry is going to be. He's going to pave the road for our Lord Jesus to come. And isn't it amazing and ironic that the account of his birth is still doing the same thing today? Paving the road in your heart, paving the road in my heart, to celebrate the fact that we have certainty about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. What did he, Jesus come to do to provide forgiveness of sins? That's what verse 77 says, 76 and 77 says. Talking about John the Baptist, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. The greatest news that needs to be communicated today is the gospel. Always has been, always will be until Jesus returns. May we know that is good news with certainty. Because we have seen repeatedly God's go-to move. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us and assures us of who you are and what you've accomplished for us on our behalf through Jesus. Father, we want our faith to be strengthened. We want our faith in you to be certain. Not just because we know this is what we're quote-unquote supposed to believe. But because your Holy Spirit has opened our eyes so that we can see. And we see the evidence repeatedly throughout Scripture that you're a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, that you only make promises you will keep. And Father, help us to see the ripple effect in our own lives, that as you keep your promises to us on a miniature scale, that it's connected to what you're doing on a far larger scale. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people agreed, saying,